It is April 30th, everybody. Tomorrow is May. Is this year going fast for anybody else? I mean, we're going into May. Like, once you hit May, everything just changes. So for the parents in the room, you see the end of the school year coming. Like, you see it. It's on the horizon. The warmer days are coming. We're going to start wearing shorts, although it's Colorado. So there's at least one more good snow coming, okay? You're going to have inches of snow. We all know that's going to happen. But cookouts, you know, pool parties, like it's on the way. And if there's one thing that I know starts to get on people's minds as the summer starts to approach, it is vacation. Anybody doing any vacations this summer? Got any plans? Taking some time off? I mean, this is the time. You always start getting in vacation mode when summer comes. And I don't know, maybe you got a trip or you're doing a family thing. Maybe you're just doing staycation, keeping things simple and easy. But this is usually when we start thinking about the time off. Now, vacation's a funny topic to me because we don't seem to run out of things to talk about the vacation, where we're going, what we're doing, how much time. This has just been a constant conversation in our culture. I actually came across an article from over a hundred years ago. This is from 1910 in the New York Times, and the article is titled, How Long Should a Man's Vacation Be? Now, ladies, it was 1910, okay, so let's give them a break, a little bit of a cultural moment, so you're included in this conversation now. We, we've made progress. But 1910, how long should a man's vacation be? And President Taft at the time was quoted as saying this in the article, 10 days or two weeks is insufficient. Amen. There we go. Everyone should have three months. Preaching, preaching. I like this guy. Can we still vote for this guy? I don't know. Um, three months of annual vacation as it is imperative to preserving Americans' health. Who's taken three months off this summer? Anybody? Okay. I'm just looking for any Northern Hills staff. Make sure they don't have their hands raised because they don't, they don't get that much PTO. Um, 2019. Let's go to the current times now. I know that was a while ago. Washington Post had this article titled, What Do Americans Have Against Vacation? And the reason for this article was they did a study and they found in 2018, just a few years ago, Americans left 768 million days of PTO unused in America. 236 million of that was forfeited completely which totaled up to $66 billion of unused benefits by Americans. So now there's been a study that came out recently that found that unused PTO by people in America has doubled since 2019. So 55% of all vacation time is not used by Americans who have jobs. Over half. So this is interesting. We don't take our vacation time. I don't know if that's you or not, but this apparently seems to be a typical thing. And they gave all these reasons. They said even when people do go on vacation, they still take their work with them. They're answering emails. They're taking calls. They're doing all the things. And they gave all these reasons where people just feel guilty. They don't want to be fall behind. Sometimes they just don't take a vacation because they feel like the cost of a trip is too much. All the different things. Here's what I feel like this at least reveals at a minimum about just us in this cultural moment. Our relationship with rest is complicated. Like, we're not even using our vacation time. Our bosses are saying, you can legally do this, not show up at work. And we're still going to work. And we just have this weird relationship with rest in our lives. And maybe that's not even shocking to you. Because you think about, again, America in particular, we just run on productivity. 
You know, that's the American pastime. We hustle, we work, we grind. We squeeze the lemon for all it's worth. We get all the juice out of there. We, bigger is better in America, which I actually like the sound of that because my last name is Bigger. So bigger is better. I'm going to keep that one going. But we, we want to maximize potential. We want to make the most of every opportunity. And this whole idea of just more and bigger and expansion has kind of infiltrated every area of our lives. So 40 years ago, in 1980, the average home size in America was 1,600 square feet, okay? And the average home had five people living in it, uh, in a 1,600-square-foot house. So now you fast-forward 40 years, the average home size is 2,400 square feet, but the average amount of people living in it is two. We also, at this moment, have seen the explosion of the self-storage industry. That wasn't even a thing just years ago. And now, at this moment in time, there's over 2 billion square feet of self-storage space in America to store all the stuff that our 2,400-square-foot houses can't fit in that only have two people in them. The average American right now spends $1,500 a month on what researchers call non-essential items, just frivolous spending, $1,500 a month. So we right now live in a very consumeristic, mass production, expansion type culture. And this has really just happened big time in the last century. Now my question is, how long can we sustain this? How long can we keep this trajectory going of production, consumption, and just this idea of more? And I'm setting all this up to get us back into this series we started the last few weeks. If you're just joining us, we're calling this series Pause. And what we are saying through this series is that our current approach to life is not sustainable. It's not sustainable emotionally, mentally, probably financially based on what it sounds like, but even spiritually. And many of us are seeing the cracks in our own lives, and we are definitely seeing the cracks in our culture. And the irony of this, this is what I just find almost funny. At this moment in time, we're wealthier than we have ever been in the history of the world right now in this moment. We have access to more than anybody has ever had access to in the history of the world. We're achieving more in a shorter amount of time. We have more comforts and convenience than ever. And yet, it seems like we're more exhausted than we've ever been. We're more anxious than we have ever been. And we're even more unhappy. So we're saying, it's time to pause, everybody. And it's time to evaluate the way we are actually living our lives. And we're looking into whether God really has a different approach so we can start to press against and live into a different life that doesn't do damage to our souls. And that's what we're getting into. We're going to reverse history here and look at a moment in time from a few thousand years ago. And what I want us to see is while at our moment in time, we definitely have different gadgets and technology and all that, the underlying fabric of our culture is not that different from some of these other areas of history. And we have way more in common with people of the past than we think. Because we're going to go to a moment in time when Egypt was the world power. Okay, they were the United States of America at the time, just dominating the world. They were the epicenter of art and culture and entertainment, and their cities had influence all around the known world. And yet there was one critical piece of the economic system of Egypt that drove everything for them to build the wealth and power that they had. And you know what it was? Slave labor. 
the Egyptians had an entire economic system built on slavery. Now, this is actually a concept not unfamiliar to us in our own nation's pastime. This is a massive dark spot on our own country's history. But we often are tempted to think, oh, slavery, that's the thing that happened a long time ago. But what many people don't know is that at this moment in history, there's more slaves right now than there has ever been in the history of the world. So at this moment in time, there are 50 million people living in slavery. So they're being exploited, they're being trafficked, they're in forced labor, and it's happening even in Western cities around the world. And what is actually even most tragic is 25% of that 50 million of slaves are children. So when we talk about just this idea of slavery, this is not just something from the past. And actually enslaving our fellow man and humans is a pastime that continues to this day. So the Egyptians were living in this slavery system, and they took an opportunity to actually enslave an entire ethnic group, and this was the Israelites. And for 400 years, they just imposed their will on these people in order to minimize costs and maximize profits. And in many ways, they treated these people worse than animals. Like, literally, they were worked to death. And then they were just tossed aside and used up like cattle. And just like slaves today, the Israelites in the Egyptians' eyes were simply commodities. They were simply to be used up, and all their value was in what they could produce. And so when they couldn't produce anymore, their value went to zero. And they were just tossed aside. But for the Egyptians, this was necessary to maximize their economic progress. Because the Egyptians had an insatiable appetite for growth, expansion, and more. And they had such a strong appetite for this that it led them to enslaving millions of people whose entire existence was to work themselves to death. Now, at this moment in time, thank God we don't have any laws or cultural systems right here that support or condone that in any way. We have definitely made progress. But we have a little bit more in common with Egypt than you may realize. I think everybody on here knows exactly what this is on the screen, right? Let's put that up there. It's a dollar bill, right? So for all the teenagers in the room, we actually used to pay for things using these dollar bills. We would actually hand people this gross money touched by a thousand different people to pay for things. I actually don't remember the last time I've used like dollar bills to pay for something. I mean, really, it's totally changed. But if you look on the backside of a dollar bill, you know, maybe you haven't paid much attention to it. If you zoom in at one spot, there's this thing that's often called the Great Seal. And fascinating, it has a pyramid. Now, just some interesting history for you. This pyramid has 13 levels to it, which were representing the 13 colonies at the time when all of this was being designed. But then you notice at the top of the pyramid, there's this gap. And then there's this space that has what is called the all-seeing eye, which all of this here was meant to symbolize this idea of more. So the founders were trying to communicate, oh, we're not sealing off the pyramid. This is going to go as high as it possibly can. We are going to add an 
infinite level of layers to this thing. And this whole idea of a pyramid, it actually is like the symbol of strength and stability, but also a pyramid is a symbol for this idea of empire. This commitment to growth and expansion and consumption, even at the expense of human dignity itself. So think of just how this idea can slip into different parts of our culture. We don't even recognize it sometimes. I'm sure a decent number of us in here, you've got a Netflix account. You know, you do your Netflix bingers every week, as, us, as we do. It's becoming an American pastime. But how interesting that Netflix, the whole idea is, we've got more shows for you. We got more movies we're putting out. We have more things for you to watch than you could possibly watch in an entire lifetime. And you know what the CEO of Netflix was quoted saying a little while back? They asked him, well, who's your competition? And he didn't say like Amazon or anything like that. He said, our only competition is sleep. Because we need you to sleep less so you can consume more of our content. Now, Apple, I am certain, is going to release a new phone sometime this fall. And I'm sure it's going to have better cameras and better charging and better pieces to it. And they are going to do everything in their power with their billions of dollars of marketing to convince you that your iPhone 14 must be replaced because you've only had it for a year and it's already outdated and you need more, you need better, you need upgrade. Any parents in here? You have seen how much our culture has shifted when it comes to parenting with kids. Because you put your kids in the activities and today it's like, oh, we need more practices. We need more games. We need more meetings. We need more things because how else are we going to compete with the five-year-olds in the town across the area? We got to keep up with these five-year-olds, all right? It's getting very competitive at a young age. Now, don't mishear me. I'm actually not speaking against innovation or saying there's a problem with progress. Actually, a lot of the leaps we've seen is a lot of the imprint of God's nature on us to expand and grow things, but our appetite for accumulation, achievement, and even progress can devolve into a slavish existence where we end up giving ourselves to the gods of more in our lives. And we don't even recognize it sometimes, but we will get sucked into the latest, the greatest, the biggest, the best, more. And we become slaves. Now, Israel was in a hopeless situation. They were in total slavery, no hopes of getting out, but then God gets involved. And he involves himself in this entire situation, and through miraculous intervention, God delivers an entire nation of people out of abject slavery, and he leads them to this new land that we often call the promised land, modern-day Israel. And on the edge of this land, God starts to give them some guidelines for how they need to live. He's like, man, you guys, you had it all wrong back there. It was a big mess. I'm trying to help you. So he gives them a whole new framework for how to live. It's kind of like their constitution. And so they have all these different commands and things to be thinking about. And there's one command in particular that just is kind of random. You wouldn't expect this to be like a priority to God. Why would he care so much about this? And in Deuteronomy 5, this is what it says. Observe the Sabbath day 
by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. If you're just joining us today, we introduced this concept last week, this idea of Sabbath. And this word simply means to stop. And God is saying, one day, I want you to take some time where you stop. You pause. You don't produce. You don't grind. You don't hustle. You don't slave away. And this scripture we just read right here is actually part of the Ten Commandments. It's one of God's top ten. And actually, this is the second time we see the Ten Commandments in the Bible. They actually show up twice, in case you didn't know that. The first time the commands came around, we read last week. And that was with the first generation that left slavery. Now God is giving them again because all those people died off. These are all their kids now. And God's like, I'm reminding you of this because you have to make sure you do not forget it. Now, everything is the same. Here's where all the Bible nerds, you're going to enjoy this. The reason God gives for why they need to rest, why they need to take this day, this Sabbath, the entire reason completely changes. And this is what God says, his argument for why they need to do this in verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, hold on, God. I thought... The Sabbath is about me just getting a chance to chill for a little bit. You know, I need a break. I need a day off. I need a day where I get away from my boss and life can be easier. Sip on a little drink or something. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't miss this. There is so much more to it than that. You know why you need to do this? You know why your soul needs this? Because you were a slave. You were a cog in the machine of an empire's drive towards greed and production. Your entire existence was slaving away, and then you were tossed away in a trash heap. So you need a rhythm of rest in your life to remind yourself regularly your existence is not measured by your productivity. Your value as a person does not depend on your output. You are not defined by your work. You have been set free. And so God says, as a regular declaration and reminder of this, and as a protection against you slipping back into a slavish lifestyle and even imposing it on other people, you need to observe the Sabbath. Now, this idea of observe it's the same idea of like keeping, guarding, or watching over something. So we observe holidays. I'm sure you've got like a Christmas tradition or something, Thanksgiving, holidays, it totally changes up our rhythm. You observe the speed limit. Some of you do. Some of you observe the speed limit. We, we observe things. We observe schedules. We respect them. We take them seriously. And this is what God is saying. I want you to observe 
the Sabbath. So last week, if you missed it, we saw how the first time God makes this command to rest, he gives a reason. He says, the reason you need to rest is because you need a rhythm in your life. You need a rhythm of rest. You need to be in sync with God in order for your soul to fill up. And now God comes back around. He says, okay, you need to rest. But it's not just because you need a rhythm. You need to rest because you need to resist. Your rest is about resistance. You have to declare war against your own soul's proclivity towards achievement and accumulation and consumerism and this cultural propensity towards more. And so this is the big idea for the whole message. Everything's been leading up to this. Sabbath is radical resistance to the way of the world. Now hear me, guys. The gadgets are different. You've got a way better phone than the Egyptians did many years ago. I'm telling you, you got a much better phone. They had flip phones back then. They were not that nice. You, you have better shelter. You have indoor plumbing. We have things that work way better here. But the ways of the world do not change. At the heart of Egypt was this idea of empire. We are going to grow and we are going to expand at all costs, even the cost of our own souls. And that very heart posture is also in our culture today. And it also slips into our own individual hearts. And so God says, you have to radically resist this constant pressure to fall into the ways the world operates. And the way you do this is resting. Having a rhythm in your life where you remind yourself, I am not a slave. I am not a slave to the way this world operates and I'm not going to fall into its systems. And there is a freedom available through this, God says, that will completely liberate you. Now, how powerful can that really be? Seriously, God, one day is supposed to completely transform our entire relationship with the world and how it works and our own freedoms. I mean, it just sounds kind of ridiculous. Well, this principle is more powerful than you might think. I'm sure everybody in here has heard of this tiny little startup restaurant chain called uh, Chick-fil-A. Have you heard of this place? God's chicken, right? It's delicious. You're not getting any today, though. You're not. And you actually, you might not know the whole story behind Chick-fil-A. It's kind of fascinating. The first Chick-fil-A was opened up in 1946 by a guy named Truett Cathy in Georgia. And he had strong Christian convictions. And something that was very important to him was he wanted to make sure that he was not overworking his staff. And so the only way he felt like he could do that as they were growing was instituting a company-wide policy where every single Chick-fil-A, no matter where it was, who was running it, or how much money it was making, had to be totally closed on Sunday. And so Truett was quoted as saying this, closing on Sunday is our way of honoring God and showing our loyalty to him. Could you imagine a CEO of a company saying that today? Now, think about the restaurant industry. Could you think of an industry that is built more on this idea of more? There's always more people that you could feed. There's more locations you can open up. There's more things you can do to build your customer base. And yet, Truett decided to 
radically resist this cultural pressure. And he said, no, even at personal cost to myself, I am going to ensure that this entire company gets an opportunity to rest on a regular basis. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Good job, Chick-fil-A, you're closed on Sunday. You know, we hate it, but we're glad you get a day off. Well, get this. This is where you just see the God piece to it. At this moment in time, 80% of McDonald's locations are 24-7. 80% of them. So pretty much any McDonald's location you go to, the lights are never going to turn off. The grills are always going to be on. There's always going to be staff in there. And the broken ice cream machine will always be running too. Jesus help us. Um, so the average annual income for a single McDonald's location is $2.7 million. That's not bad. I wouldn't mind having one. So it's pretty good. Now Chick-fil-A, they made a different decision. They said, we are going to actually close every single night. As far as I know, there's not a single 24-7 Chick-fil-A out there because they want to make sure their staff actually gets sleep. Not only that, they have been closed every single Sunday without fail for 80 years. And the average Chick-fil-A location in a typical year will bring in over $8 million. Almost three times as much as a typical McDonald's. Here's what Chick-fil-A decided. We are not going to be Pharaoh in these people's lives. We are not going to become slave drivers to our staff, grinding them into a pulp for the sake of another dollar. We are going to radically resist this cultural pressure for more and expansion and squeezing that lemon as hard as we possibly can, even at the cost of people's own dignity. We refuse to. And for the last 80 years, Chick-fil-A has been confounding business schools and experts because the math doesn't add up. Do you see why this is so radically countercultural? This is completely upside down to the way our world works because here's what the world says. The world says, you rest when the work is done. That's when you rest. When is the work done? Is anybody done with their work? I'm just wondering, is anybody here? Is anybody just done? You finished. You, it's never done. And so what happens is you become a slave. You exist for the work. And you just slave away until it's over, which it's never done. And it's not even just workplaces or schools that become pharaohs in our lives. Many of us do a perfectly fine job being our own pharaohs. We're our very own slave drivers. We are constantly chasing that endless checklist. We have constant responsibilities. We are never done with the endless to-do list that is in our life. And God says, you need to stop. You have to take a pause because you are not a slave. That is not what you were created for. You should not be slave driving yourself and nothing else should be slave driving you. And so God flips the whole thing on its head. He says, okay, it's not about when the work is done. You stop when it's time. It's a totally different approach. You don't stop when the work's done. You stop when it's time. 
So God says, you need to have a rhythm based on the timing in your life because you are never going to be finished. So you have to discipline yourself to pause and experience true rest as a reminder that you do not just exist to produce and hustle and grind and serve the almighty dollar or more square footage or the image or the title or anything that it is. And God says, if you will root that in your life, it can set you free. Now, if you are just joining us today, I kind of shared a little bit of my story last week. And just to summarize, my mindset for pretty much my entire life was, I'll rest when I get to heaven. You know, that's the mindset, because I ain't got time to rest right now. I've got the rest of eternity to take a nap. So I just hustled until it literally put my health in jeopardy. Had so many issues going on, and it was totally exhausted. And the interesting thing was, through all of these years, I had days off. I took vacations, but I never experienced this idea of rest in my life ever. It was constantly in the grind, constantly a hustle. And when Nicole and I, four years ago, had kind of an intervention, we said, we have to figure something out, because this is going to destroy our family. We tried this thing called Sabbath. We gave it a try. And it was terrible. It was horrible. I thought it was so dumb. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was bored. I didn't know what I should do, couldn't do. And it, I just got so antsy, and I just ended up being on my computer again. Nicole would go to chores, and then we would get right back into our day-off cycle. And I learned something through this process. What I found out is you can be set free, but still have slavery in your heart. You see, God set me free. I believed in Jesus, and yet I still was going back to these chains and different bondages in my life, and I was allowing them to just drive me into this exhausting, endless existence that was wearing my soul down. And so Nicole and I, we started experimenting with this and trying to figure it out. And I came across this pastor, Eugene Peterson. He wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible, and he got interviewed once. They said, so what do you actually do on a Sabbath? Like, how do you do this? And he said, well, you do nothing that is necessary. <laughs> doesn't that just sound strange? That doesn't even fit with our psyche in America at all. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to take that serious. We're going to try and do a day here where it's not about producing. It's not about grinding. It's now not about catching up to all the things that we didn't get, get done because we're not going to wait till the work is done. We are going to stop when it's time. And so Nicole and I started getting into this rhythm with God and experimenting with it. Now, the reason many of us in here, you are a Christian, you believe in God, you've trusted Jesus. One of the reasons you may still be exhausted and kind of stressed out and feel like you're on the hamster wheel is because you're still a slave. You still have pharaohs running your life. And this can express itself in so many different ways. Some of us in here, you are a slave to money. You live for it. You're always thinking about it. You're always trying to get more of it. And it drives your life and all your decision making. Some of us in here, you are a slave to your work. You've been climbing the ladder your whole life. And that title means more to you than it really should. And you're always measuring against other people 
and where they're at in their own career trajectory. Some of us in here, you are actually a slave to your physical appearance. You are tracking every pound. You see every single gray hair. You spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, more than you should. You're a slave to it. It can be so many different things. I see people who are a slave to their relationship status, obsessing over their singleness, still living in this identity that they think they have because they've been through a divorce, thinking that has fundamentally changed their identity in some way. Some people, it's the identity of a marriage that's struggling and trying to get through that. We have things that just drive our lives and become horrible taskmasters. And we become slaves to them and it wears our souls down. And I realized that's what I had been doing for so many years of my life. I was a slave to this idea of productivity, of trying to get ahead and just do all these things I thought I had to do to make my life meaningful. And then Nicole and I finally started to learn how to pause, how to get in a rhythm of rest. It took us four years and we are still learning. But for the first time in my life, these last few years, I've experienced those little tastes of freedom. Like I have these moments where the anxiety is just lifted. Even if all the responsibilities of life are going on, there's just the weight gets taken off. And you can actually feel God setting you free from so many of the things that weigh you down in your daily life. And I want to encourage some people here today. God wants to set you free. He wants to break the shackles in your life. He wants to take the weight off. He wants to remove the bondage that's holding you down. And so I want to talk for just one minute about breaking the bondage. How do you actually do this? How do you actually get this freedom that God is trying to get in your life? And the first thing we see that we can do here as we're trying to lead to this process of freedom that God wants for us is you got to ask, what am I a slave to? What are you a slave to? What just drives your life more than it should? What is just occupying your mind and driving so much more and controlling in a way that honestly, it, it really shouldn't. And again, this can come out in so many different ways. But it is so powerful to recognize, oh my goodness, I'm actually becoming a slave to this. And for so many people, it really is the work thing. That's a huge piece of the Sabbath. Do not become a slave to your work. It's important. It's valuable. You should do it and take it seriously, but you better not become a slave to it. But for many people, it drives everything for them. You know, one of um, the rules that God put into all of um, just the Old Testament commands was, He's like, I don't want you to buy or sell on the Sabbath. Because for many people, that whole idea of economics and gain and money, they're becoming a slave to. Now, again, I'm not imposing that on you, but he's like, you got to make sure this doesn't get, become too much in your life. Again, some people, it's a slave to the image, the body thing. You just got to ask, what's that thing that just drives you a little too much? What's that thing that controls you more than it should? And then once you recognize those things, you have to, and this is the charge that God has, radically resist on your day of rest. So last week we talked about how you have to have a finish line. 
You say, this is the moment where I stop. It's about time, not about when the work's done. It's about when I say it's time. And then you step into this rest rhythm. And so once you have, once you have that defined, though, you have to have this moment where you say, I am going to radically push back against those things that are trying to pull me in and make me a slave to them. So I told you how in the Old Testament they had, God said, I don't want you buying or selling. Now, I don't think that's an imposed law on us right now where you can't go to the store or anything. But I'll tell you, some of you guys are a slave to shopping. You know, it's like $5 here, $10 here, $50 there. And this is why you get in a fight with your spouse all the time because all you do is spend all the money all the time. You know, you get in those fights. And for some people, radical resistance for you would be like, I'm going to take a day where I'm not just surfing Amazon all the time. I'm going to take a day where I'm not just walking the aisles in the stores. Because for me, I need to resist that natural inclination I have to just buy and accumulate and get things. You know, some people, and I know this body image thing can be very serious. I know there's a lot of things and there's, it's important to be healthy and all that. I'm, I'm saying that too. But again, for some people, it can be really healthy for you to radically resist just, again, the obsession over your own physical appearance and image. And so you say, you know, I'm going to take a day where I'm not going to freak out about what outfit I'm going to wear. I'm not just going to obsess about the hair and look it in the mirror. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to set myself free from some of that pressure I feel like I have in my life. What do you have to radically resist on a day to free yourself from some of these bondages? You know, one for me is kind of unique just to my you know, season and situation. So I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. And something that's just unique about being a pastor is there's a little bit more of an upfront nature to it than some other jobs. You know, you're up front and preaching, you're in front of staff, you're always writing content, you're communicating, you're, you're always kind of out leading. And that can be a dangerous temptation because you get pulled into this pressure all the time to try to put up this front or manage this image or do all these things. And part of that's healthy. You want to represent God well and everything, but it can become a slavish cycle. You're a slave to the opinions of other people and just what they think about you and all these different things. And by the way, I love being a pastor. I, I embrace that reality. I love being the pastor of this church. It's the best church in the world, everybody. And I believe it. So I love it being here. But in this last year of being a lead pastor, I realized I needed to start to radically resist some of the things that pull you in just because of this job. And so for one day a week, I radically resist that temptation to have to always be producing content, prepping a sermon, thinking about, how this is going to be received or what this is going to look like or how it's going to feel. So for me, I just shut all of that down. And so for me, I take a little break from social media. Don't post because, again, like I don't want to get it out there. I'm not thinking about worrying about what I'm wearing or any of that stuff. And I just get to sit back and just be Brian, one of God's kids. And sometimes, can, can we be really honest right now, everybody? Can you promise you won't judge me? Sometimes I don't even shower on my Sabbath. I don't even shower. That's how much I don't care. I don't wear deodorant, and I apologize if you catch me on a Saturday sometime around town. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. I'm laying low. That might have been TMI. I apologize if I went too far with that. But for me, I am just resisting, though, again, that pressure of image management. And so I don't know what your thing is. What do you need to radically resist on your day of rest? What's that thing that you just say, for one day, I am not going to let this drive my life. I am not going to be a slave to this thing. And your thing might seem unnecessary. It might seem extreme to other people. But for you, it's freedom. 
It's a regular reminder, okay, God drives my life. God is my main thing. And this isn't going to be what it is for me. And I am just going to rest and take a break from it. And as you put that into your rhythm, God says you're going to start experiencing a freedom in your life that you've never had before. You will break some of the bondages that are holding you down. Now, this is right where most sermons end. And I promise I will end in a minute, okay? So I won't drag it on too much longer. It's been so important to me to make sure you understand how spiritually profound this really is. This is not just about you getting a day off. It's not just about you taking a break. It's much more profound about that. As the worship team comes out, I want to read this passage in John 8. This is Jesus. Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is, uh, what's the word? Slave to sin. You are a slave. I'm a slave. Because every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us have done things that contradict God's good purposes in our lives. And we choose the other thing. And Jesus says, that is a sign of slavery in your life. You are being held down by things that are really bad for your soul and destroying you. And every one of us knows this experience. Because some of us in here, the reason you're even back in church right now is because you've realized you can't get free of some of the things you're trying to get free of. You have not been able to break that habit. Some of us in here, you have stuff that's been going on in your life for years that you just can't get free of. We feel this sense. We're slaves. And even if you don't have like a very specific habit or whatever, we slip back into all these patterns of life that are destructive to our souls. Jesus says, you're a slave. But then Jesus went to the cross. And he died in our place. And he rose from the dead and defeated sin and death itself. He had absolute victory all of it, so much so that Paul was able to write this in a letter to the Romans. In chapter 6, he says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And look at this. We are no longer slaves to sin. You have been set free. This is what Paul is saying. Jesus' body was not the only thing nailed to that cross. Your sin was placed there on him too. It was crucified with him. It was put to death. So now you have been set free from the slavery of sin and any other power in your life. You have been set free from needing to prove your worth to God or some other person. You've been set free from needing to achieve some standard to prove that your life is really worth living. You've been set free from needing to get to some sort of physical appearance or image or lifestyle that you think is necessary for your life to have counted. The reality of your life, if you are in Christ, is you are free. You have been liberated. So hear how powerful this is. God says, I'm going to give you a gift now. So you can regularly be reminded of this reality in your life. Because you're going to forget. You're going to want to go back to being a slave. And so God says, I want you to take a day where you rest. And you remind yourself of your freedom. Do you see how powerful this is? When you Sabbath, when you take time to pause in your life, you're not just taking a day off. You're not just getting a break. 
You are declaring with your body, I am free. I am not some cog in the machine of this culture. I do not just exist to earn another dollar. I am a precious child of God. He has earned everything I need. All of my provision is him. I have been set free and I can just enjoy the reality of the rest that God has earned on my behalf. You are declaring that with your life when you take these days of rest and you are celebrating the goodness of God and everything he's done for you. And so this is the charge, everybody. God wants to set you free. And he already has in Jesus. And now he's inviting you in to experience the amazing power of breaking bondages in your life so you can experience the life-changing power of Jesus's own freedom in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we just praise you that you are a God of freedom, that you want to break the chains of bondage and sin in our life. You want to liberate us, Lord. We thank you that you are such a good God and that is your heart, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you made a way for that, that you provided Jesus to even die in our place so we could be set free, Lord. And now, God, I pray that you truly would start to break some of the chains in our lives, the slavish lives that we live for accumulation and materialism and consumption and work and the grind and productivity and all the things that our culture says we need in order for our lives to matter. And so, Lord, will you set us free? Will you help us to step into rest so we can remind ourselves that we have everything we need in you? that our lives are not ultimately about our production, our output, the image that we create, but it's about Jesus and everything he's done on our behalf. And some of you in here, you know that you have not truly had that encounter with Jesus. You have not truly been set free by him. And right now he is reaching out to you and saying he wants to set you free. He wants to truly liberate you from the things holding you down. And you can reach out to him right now and just say, Jesus, set me free. I want you in my life. I want to experience you liberating me from the things that are holding me down. And Lord, I just pray for everybody reaching out to you that you would save them, that you would deliver them, that they would be set free from the bondages in their life, Lord. And for all of us, God, I pray that we would step into this amazing gift of rest and Sabbath as a reminder of the freedom that we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.